Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. You know, we have a very inter- we have two very interesting guests uh, uh, coming on board. Uh, I'm going to have uh, uh, have them introduce themselves. We'll, we'll start. W- uh, welcome to the show. Who is on board? This is Allison Tolbert. How are, how how are you, Allison? I'm great. How are you? Uh, pretty good. Uh, Allison, you have a very uh, in- interesting, you're co-founder of Sugartooth Tours, a local dessert walking tour company in New York City. And we want, yeah. you, we want you on the program. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we also have Kevin Paul Scott. Uh, Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be with you. Um Due to a scheduling, you're both on at the same time. But since uh, we have enough time, we're, we're going to ha- have the two of you uh, uh, t- talking together tonight. Um, we're going to first start with Allison and then uh, 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 jump to you, Kevin, because uh, your topic, a new trend in retailing, uh, indeed in business itself, Today's consumers shop at stores and frequent brands that share their values. So we're going to, um, if Kevin, if you can stand by a couple of minutes, we'll first talk with Allison. Okay? Sounds great. All right, Allison. Uh, w- yes. Welcome to the show. Um, Thank you for having me. Well, um, tell us a little bit about your company, because I found if anything to do with ice cream, I always find exciting. <laughs> well, Sugar Tooth Tours was actually started because of uh, my love for ice cream, actually. Um, Sarah and I are both musical theater performers, and we met on the national tour of Disney's Beauty and the Beast uh, about four years ago. And um, while we were on tour together and we were traveling the country, we discovered walking food tours, and we found it to be the most exciting way to explore a city and learn about the history, but also kind of eat our way through the city, which we had to do anyways, and we just found it a really fun way to um, explore. So when we returned back to New York City, my birthday was coming up, and uh, Sarah 
has seen me go into blizzards for ice cream, so she knew that my love of ice cream ran very deep. So uh, she was looking for an ice cream walking tour for us to do, and she realized one didn't exist. And so she called me, and she said that she thinks she's found our new business, and that's when Sugar Tooth Tours uh, is how we started. And uh, that was almost two years ago now, so we've been really enjoying ourselves since then. Uh, and but you only do it during the summer. We do not. We're a year-round business. We actually have two tours that run throughout the year: uh, rain or shine. Which the first one is our Fine Heaven and Health Kitchen tour, which goes throughout the Health Kitchen area, gives a little background history, and we try six different types of desserts. Um, we also have our Sweeter Than Sugar tour, which goes through Chelsea uh, on the High Line into the Meat Packing District. Those run year-round. We have other seasonal tours, such as in the spring we do our Cupcake Crawl. This year it's a village-to-village cupcake crawl. Um, in the summertime we do our Ice Cream Summer Sundays tour, which runs through the summer on Sundays. Um, and we're getting ready to launch two other tours this fall that we're really excited about as well. Okay. Now um, we're going to go to Kevin, Paul Scott, because um, um, this week our listeners may may or may not know there's a very important um, decision made by the Supreme Court uh, involving uh, Hobby Lobby. Uh, uh, there's a lot of people talking about it, but Paul has a very interesting take on it, and uh, I'd like him to. Uh, uh, just in his own words, uh, you're saying there's, there's a, a divide, but I'm going to let you do the talking, Paul. Yeah, well, first of all, I was, I was actually lo- loving listening to her talk. I'm going to be in New York City in a few weeks, and I know uh, now one of the things on my agenda, so this sounds like <laughs> a lot of fun. It is. Um, so, uh, yeah, when it comes to Hobby Lobby, I'm less uh, less talking about their particular decision and more the fact that a lot of companies now you see um, are kind of wearing what used to be their more personal or private values on their sleeve, and they are saying, uh, this is what our company's about, this is what we're going to be about, and they're doing it on both sides of the aisle and lots of different types of issues. But what, what is interesting, especially with a millennial or younger generation, is that uh, a lot of individuals now are choosing companies where they're going to spend their money the way that previous generations chose charities. And they're saying that that this organization or this business that I'm going to spend my money with, I want to be a reflection of my values and who I'm about. And so, you know, even yesterday, while while some people are outraged at Hobby Lobby's decision, other people who may have never shopped at Hobby Lobby in their life because they are excited about this decision went and, and spent money at that store. So it's just an interesting phenomenon um, and if you take it even outside of the political spectrum, what I do think is valuable and important is for companies to be involved with causes so that as people spend money there, they feel good about uh, where their money is going. Well, uh, but, but that kind of goes contrary for, uh, for whole generations. Companies kept uh, tried to keep out of the spotlight. Um, but now you're saying that uh, there's a, there's value to be had by uh, uh, trumpeting what they do and how they do it. Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah, you you definitely are. And and you know what the Hobby Lobby case in particular, or many others, are 
tend to be a little bit more divisive, uh, especially along maybe religious or political lines. And I'm not necessarily advocating that, but but it is important to consumers uh, what it, what's corporate social responsibility are these individuals involved with, and when organizations can effectively tie their corporate brand to causes, um, they have an ability to build consumer loyalty uh, in, a, in a way that, uh, and raving fans in a way that, that other companies sometimes struggle to do. Well, would that be the case? What would be uh, an example of a company, uh, uh, what should they be doing to, um, what charities or what events I mean, uh, uh, that would attract uh, more more customers? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it, it has to align with your company. It can't, you know, for, for a company who's in the, the food business, you probably want to be involved with something that has to do with that. Or if, um, you know, a company has... I've been uh, talking a lot on different uh, outlets about what what can Sears do. Sears is a, a great American retailer who's continually struggling. They need to craft a compelling narrative that helps get individuals in their store, and maybe theirs could be, you know, the great American brand, and they could talk about uh, their platform and what they're doing. But especially for small business owners, it's finding personal passions or things that are tied to your business uh, and plugging in with them and then uh, letting your customers know that, that the, these are causes that you care about. Well, let's go back to Allison for a, uh, a moment. Uh, Allison, you're a small business. How do you choose the, the ice cream places that you go to? Well, Is there, what, what are the, go ahead, you first. Uh, we do do a lot of research, and, and you know, speaking on on the same matter, we do actually do uh, some donations to various charities depending on the month. Uh, a dollar from each tour will go to that particular charity. Um, so we we do that research ourselves as well. But sometimes when it comes to what vendors we use, it's really all about what we consider is the best in the city. So we um, literally do our research online or word of mouth and then literally go to these places and take it upon ourselves for the sake of our guests to try every uh, popular flavor or um, dessert style to make sure that we're providing our guests with the absolute best of New York. It's really imperative to us that we find hidden gems, that we don't go to the local, uh, everybody knows because they saw on TV kind of marketplace. We want to take you someplace that you may have never heard before, so when you go back home to your hometown, you can say, I know this great little cupcake place in New York City, and um, it's someplace that you want to on a, a sugar tooth tour. Well, I, I, as I say, until uh, someone told me about you, I had never heard of it. and We live just, uh, just across New York City. But um, on a typical tour, how, how many people do... How many stores do you visit, and how much ice cream can someone consume? <laughs> well, we we do tastings. We partner up with our vendors to make sure that they're uh, definitely smaller portions so that you're just getting enough to taste and enjoy. However, you do get on all of our tours six tastings um, throughout the entire tour. So by, you know, tasting number four, you're certainly feeling it. 
But it's a, a lot of stuff you can take to go with you. Um, also, if you just want to take a bite, um, pass it on to your friend who may enjoy it more than they enjoyed the last one, it's kind of like wine tasting and the fact that you may not like a certain location, but you like another location better. So you can eat more of the other one that you like better and maybe pass on the one that you didn't care for so much. But you have six options, and we also make sure you know how to get back to these locations as well so that you always know where your favorite place is. Okay. Now, uh, now we're going we're, we're gonna to go back to Kevin because, uh, uh, Kevin, a chick of Phil got into trouble. Chick-fil-A? Because it's Chick-fil-A, right. Got into trouble because... Um, uh, uh, and I honestly can't remember w- w- uh, what it was that they got involved in. Um, and it's the most popular chicken brand in, in America. Uh, but um, how does a company deal with, with such a negative situation as that? Yeah, I want to say two things. First of all, I love what Allison's doing because I think in this day and age, you, you want to be more than – in addition to satisfying customers, you want to give them a story to tell. And that's why the charitable piece is important, but it's exactly why what she's doing is important. Because I, if I come in to, to where she is in New York City, I may, I may or may not love all the ice cream or dislike it, but that's a story that I'm going to tell other people. So that's important. Uh, the same thing is true for brands when they choose uh, charities and causes. You know, Chick-fil-A in particular, it's a little bit of a, a media kind of instance, you're talking about money um, that the owners were donating to causes that uh, promoted uh, marriage between a man and a woman. Um, So it was something that was particular to the owner. It wasn't necessarily corporate money, but it's a privately held business. So, you know, that's an interesting situation. It ended up, the craziest thing is it drove up their sales, and um, since that time, there has been uh, even a lot of reconciliation between the LGBT community and uh, and that company, uh, because I th- but I think there's value in companies that that have values that stick to them, and you know Chick Fil A is closed on Sunday, uh, and and people respect those values even when they disagree with them some, and they appreciate it when you live them out and you want to be a part of it. Well, I'm going to venture into dangerous territory here, but it, it seems to me that um, this, it seems to be more um, people like the lesbian, gay, etc., uh, uh, the more vocal groups that seem to, be, to take more offense than, let us say, the, the conservative side of the, of the, uh, of the house, uh, of the political spectrum. Um, would you want to comment or pass on that question? <laughs> I'd, pr- I'd probably rather pass, but I would. Uh, here's what I would say, though, is that the the charity piece or the the giving piece can be compelling for companies. But I don't understand what you're saying is that it it could be a turnoff in certain circumstances. However, what's interesting is I think if you still deliver good value and you do what you say you want to do, you know, I have friends uh, that may disagree with Chick-fil-A's policies, but they still go on and buy food there because uh, it's, it's, they like to call this the better for you fast food. It's a fast food company who it tends to do things well. They deliver good food at a good value and incredible customer service. So 
uh, I think more times than not, the charities and the choices you make in that sphere can only help you, and very rarely does it end up hurting you. That's good. That's good. That's good to hear. Uh, but a small business oftentimes doesn't have the. Um, uh, um, oftentimes um, doesn't have uh, the resources to weather a storm like uh, uh, bigger companies. Uh, we have an incident in a nearby town here in New Jersey where the the owner uh, was quoted on a, a has it happened the gun control issue and got uh, some fairly strong. Uh, kick uh, kickback from it. Uh, it was quite an innocent remark, in my view. But um, what could a small business do when they're hit by a situation like that? Yeah, I would just say that they need to be able, first of all, to 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 back up what they they want to do, and number two, they they need to give consumers a compelling story, a reason to be there. What the the, the things that Allison is talking about gives people a reason to come in the door. And ultimately, uh, in a hyper-competitive market uh, where everyone is vying for attention, especially places, uh, traditional retailers, like for, for small businesses, when people are buying stuff online more and more, you've got to create experience and give people a, a reason to come in the store uh, and do business with you. And so if you can give create those raving fans, I think it gives you a little bit of more of an opportunity to weather uh, either a tough economic season or some kind of bad publicity or adversity. Well, Allison, what is your compelling um, value statement? I'm so sorry, could you repeat that? I'm sorry? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Well, well, why do people... What do you say to people when? Uh, what is your story when you, when people come to say, uh, "I tried to decide to take your tour or not"? You know what we like to do is just to provide a fun, family-friendly experience. Uh, Sarah and I are two young, up-and-coming minority women who are trying to follow our dreams and moved to New York City on a whim and a dream, and all we're trying to do is support that dream by doing something that we love and enjoy doing. We love desserts. We love New York City. We love introducing people to our favorite desserts. We've been doing it for our, with our friends for the past six years now, um, and we're just trying to provide a good time um, in a world where there's so many things that, that are heavy and, and sad and bad. We're just trying to basically... Um, provide something that's fun and easy. There's there's really nothing to it. You just you pay your fee for your ticket, you show up, and we show you the best desserts in New York City. Um, we kind of joke and say, you know, sometimes we have to remember that what we're doing isn't brain surgery. It's not going to save the world, but it's going to put a smile on someone's face, whether they're three years old or 30. So we just try to really push and provide that at the end of the day as far as our brand is concerned. Uh, Kevin, don't you agree that's a great story? I would do business there, and I will. I think, and I think that's great. And I think more and more, what as we go back to this piece, it's not just about charity and stuff like that. It's about a compelling story. And 
And knowing that about Allison and her business partner makes me want to do business with people like that. And so I think the challenge for small business owners is finding a way to tell that story. Uh, but when you do it, I think you can be wildly successful. So I'm excited about uh, taking one of the tours in New York City. Well, Kevin, what do you do? What do you do? Yeah. Well, what's interesting is we we do we literally work with brands on on this kind of issue a lot. But from big, huge corporate brands to small business owners, how do you within bigger corporate brands we help tie in a marketing department to a foundation? These are two entities within companies that don't a lot of times speak. That uh, they they run separately, but we want to bring those entities together. And then with smaller businesses, it's just telling a story. It's funny because. When you mention the name Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A is rolling out uh, a new coffee later this year, and it, it, is, it supports farmers in uh, South America. And it's, a, it's not only a good coffee, but it's a really good story about the free trade and how they're helping people. When they do a taste test of the coffee, if you just have the coffee, it gets like a 6 or a 7 out of 10. But when people know the story, it's like a 9 out of 10. It, it's crazy with their research. And the, it just it's kind of the thing with Allison's company is I may have a good experience with Allison's company and say that it was fun, but now knowing her story and understanding it, the way I view it, even though my experience was exactly the same, I may view it in a different light and be able to uh, and be more of a, a passionate uh, customer and raving fan who's going to tell other people about that company. So we just try to help businesses tell that story. And the uh, name of your company? It's Addo, and our website is just Addo, A-D-D-O, dot is. Okay. But um, let's go back to Allison now, because what, what I love about this program is we get oh, young uh, entrepreneurs like you on, and, and your enthusiasm uh, really catch on. I, I, I'm, I'm a lot older than you. I, get a, I guess I'm a little bit more jaded. Uh, but... Uh, what has you found has been your biggest obstacle to success? Um, you know, we've actually, what's funny about uh, Sarah and I is that we spend our entire career in a, on a daily basis, we're told no all the time. We go in and we sing and we dance and we wait hours to sing for 30 seconds and we're told no, we're not good enough, we're not tall enough, we're not short enough. So we're, we are used to hearing no all the time. So it really honestly doesn't save us when we hear it because for us it's just another reason to find a way to make it more successful or better. So, you know, knock on wood, we, we've been pretty lucky as far as obstacles, obstacles are concerned because we don't, to say we're used to obstacles is kind of sad, but um, we're used to hearing no all the time and we, we just don't accept it. So that we've been pretty, I think, being from the performing background and um, kind of having that as, as our um, business background, that kind of has helped us, uh, aid us in allowing us to not really get stopped by obstacles or even feel any speed bumps. Well, you certainly have a great, great, sto- uh, a, a great story. Uh, the more I, I listen to you, do you two, the, the two of you conduct the tours or do you have tour guides? We do have two guys on staff, but Sarah and I do lead quite a few tours, and we're all licensed New York City tour guides. Oh. Well, um, is it difficult to become a tour guide in New York City? It actually is a very challenging test. Um, 
we, you take the test and they actually give you the opportunity to take it again for free since most people don't pass it on the first go-round. Um, but Sarah, of course, passed it on the first go-round, so I had to pass it on the first go-round. So we were pretty lucky with that. <laughs> A lot uh, of studying. <laughs> uh, I imagine so. Uh, Kevin, uh, we're talking about the divide, and we're talking about, uh, do you think it's a, a generational uh, question, or do you think it's um, a changing uh, a changing uh, population uh, whose uh, views are changing? Uh, I think it's a combination of two. I think it's the, the general... The time, just retail and getting people to come and do things is just tougher. We, we live in an age with a lot more vying for our attention, and you couple that with the fact that young people, that millennials, want to be a part of something. They want to feel like uh, what they're doing is adding value, that they have a life of significance. And when you combine those two, um, you, you create new challenges for small business owners, especially those with a a front-facing uh, business-to-consumer product. And, you know, that, that's, it's, it's just a challenge. It, the, the game is changing, and, and the businesses that survive are the ones who will be able to adapt. Well, that's very true. We had a, someone on earlier talking about ad, 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 adaptation and indicating that um, uh, if companies don't adapt, they soon die. Um, uh, 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 let me ask Allison. You do ice cream tours, and you said earlier that you had two other new ideas in, in mind. Can you talk about them a little bit? Sure. Uh, we're looking to, or we're starting research and um, development on two tours that we hope to launch in the fall, um, which would be uh, Broadway store, which we hope to get a lot of our friends who are currently in Broadway Productions um, to be a part of, as well as introducing people to local New York City desserts such as egg creams and cheesecakes, black and white cookies, so we hope to find the best of those. Um, and then we've had a lot of uh, people and companies and bakeries reach out to us from Brooklyn, and because Brooklyn is becoming so hot, uh, we want to head over into Brooklyn and launch a new tour to head out there. Well, uh, for the audience, uh, egg cream uh, is a, very definitely, an, um, it's milk and a soda, uh, and sometimes, uh, but, but not usually, uh, a little bit of ice cream but, uh, or seltzer. Um, I grew up with it and uh, love it, but there's actually still places in um, in New York City that actually still s serve egg cream? There are. Yeah. Um, we're going to do some well, research. No, no because... Sometimes when I go in and ask for an egg cream, they look at me with totally blank expressions. Yeah, there are some delis in the Midtown area that still do it. For fact, I do know there's a small chocolate bar in the West Village called Chocolate Bar that sells egg creams as well. So. Oh, okay. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to talk afterwards and find out where it is. <laughs> um, as we get uh, close to the end of the program, um, you have success. If you had to choose now, you still want Broadway, or would you want to be an entrepreneur? Uh, I think 
Of course, I still want Broadway. That's been my dream since I was eight years old. It's what I've my life's work has been. And the, the thing about being a performer and being on Broadway is you're the ultimate entrepreneur because you spent your entire life, basically, at least the majority of my life, um, selling myself as a product, as a performer. Um, I'm, I've been really lucky to understand the business side of show business, um, and that's helped me and Sarah, Sarah and I, excuse me, um, build this wonderful brand that we love and enjoy. And... Um, could we really push multi-millionaires from it? I don't know, maybe. But right now we're just enjoying the ride and hoping that people enjoy the product that we put out. Uh, are you a singer, a dancer, or both, or a dramatic all actress? All three. All three. We do all three, yes. Um, when Have we were we in Beauty and the Beast, Sarah was the cover for Belle, uh, which means she was the understudy for Belle, and she was also in the ensemble, and I, too, was also in the ensemble, and I was the understudy for Babette, the feather duster. Uh, have you done any TV or movie that we might have seen you in? No, we don't. Uh, Sarah does more commercial work. She actually has a, a Aquafresh commercial that I just saw the other day. It's really funny to see your best friend in a toothpaste uh, commercial. Um, but I really love... Um, I really love live theater. I there's just something about it that I just I would miss out on if I switched over. And maybe it's in my future, but I really love. I always say I'm greedy, and I love the instant gratification of applause and then going home and then doing it all over again. Hmm. Uh, Kevin, uh, let me ask you uh, on this subject um, of community. Uh, I won't mention the uh, one of American institutions. I was talking to their president last week. Um, uh, organized sport institution, and they're saying that they're having difficulty finding local sponsors for their teams nowadays, that it's been a trend over the last five years. Um, uh, and I, I always, uh, to me, a lot of things are local. Um, uh, have you seen any trends like that, uh, um, that uh, small businesses are are doing less of the community work or are they doing more? Well, I think small businesses tend to want to be involved more with uh, programs that are that are directly applicable to their local community and less uh, the big national uh, media outlets uh, or media opportunities. And so I think for um, for for national sports. Uh, groups or even other n- national platforms, uh, it's probably tougher, and pr- and I would have to think it's cost prohibitive a lot of times for small businesses uh, to get involved with a lot of those types of events. Well, I framed the question wrong. Uh, the, the, um, the, it's a national organization with uh, uh, literally thousands of local uh, teams, and they were saying okay. that they were having different difficulty getting local sponsors uh, to sponsor um, the, the teams. Um, yeah, and, and uh, I, you know, anytime anybody says they're having trouble getting stuff like that, the, the question is, are you are you showing value to your sponsors and, and the people who are investing with you and, and marketing and advertising with you? And my only thought to that would be, yeah, if they were doing the job that they should be, if they were delivering value to sponsors and advertisers and they were showcasing that value, I, I don't see why they would have trouble uh, doing it. So maybe it's, um, you know, again, with the changing times, it's the, the, the methods have to be tweaked. 
Well, uh, the name of your company and website and how people can reach you? Yeah, it's just Addo. Addo is the Latin word for inspire, A-D-D-O, and our website is addo.il.il. And uh, uh, Allison, how do people sign up for your tours and when they come to New York? They can find all of our information on sugartoothpours.com. Okay, and uh, if, if they want to have a tour, I, I, I know, uh, listening to you, I'd love to have a tour with you. you yeah. It would probably be a hoot. Yeah, I've been leading a lot a lot of tours lately, so um, that's what happens sometimes when one of us books a contract to do a show out of town. Um, the other one's usually on the ground doing a lot of the tours. The fair was recently in St. Louis doing a production, so I was doing a lot of tours. Uh, the month of June, but Sarah's back now, so it'll be me and her pretty much switching off, unless it's one of our other great tour guides, too, who are also actors. Okay. Allison, what's your website again? Because I want to check it out when I come to New York. Sure, it's sugartoothtours.com. Perfect. Um, uh, Kevin and Allison, thank you for, uh, for being uh, patient with me, and uh, I, I prefer these uh, kind of... Um, panel-like things, because uh, I think a lot more comes out of it. And both of you were really terrific tonight. You made our show. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Have a, a, a nice day, and we'll, we'll definitely see Hopefully, if, if you come to uh, uh, New York, I'd, uh, Kevin, I'd love to sit down with you and learn more. And I want you to come back on the program by yourself and uh, talk more. Maybe we'll meet uh, when we go on a tour with Allison together. Well, that's a good idea, Kevin. Let's try to do that. And, uh, Allison, we look, really look forward to having you back uh, in a few months and see how things are going. Absolutely. We look forward to it. Thank you both. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Want to know more about health savings accounts for your company or yourself? Go to 2hsa.com and get a free employer's primer. Health savings accounts are a cost-effective way of offering health care benefits to your employees and yourself. HSAs build retirement funds for your employees, improve morale, and reduce your health care benefit costs. For a free employer guide to HSAs, go to 2hsa.com. That's 2hsa.com. Welcome to Media Mash, where we examine all things media, whether it's publishing, television, radio, books, anything that involves media, which we now know includes a lot of internet work, etc. We have some interesting guests coming on. Our next guest is Nick Exposito. Uh, I came across him in a very unusual way. And I'll let him explain what he does, because I think he's pioneered a new marketing channel for publishers. Nick, welcome to the program. Thanks, Don. I'm really happy to be here. Well, uh, Nick, we always start off our program by asking a little bit about the personal side of you, uh, who you are, how did you come, you know, a little bit of background on yourself. Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, kind of my path is... Uh, 
meandered and went up and down and down and up all over. Um, so, uh, so I started off after I got out of college. Uh, I went to school to be an, uh, an English major. Um, and as I always like to say, you know, English majors are good at doing a lot of things except getting jobs in their field. So um, I went out and uh, tried to, you know, after I got out of college, I knew I wanted to be a writer. I went to school um, for, you know, being trained to be a writer and just loving literature and really just kind of changed my life in so many great ways. Um, but when I got out of college, I knew that I wanted to kind of do something a little bit more um, then just get out and go into an MFA program or go try to get a job writing for some a magazine or newspaper. I wanted to, uh, you know, explore a little bit. I also had this kind of desire to give back. And, you know, I was one of those people that are pretty affected by the social problems I saw around me. So that led me into um, the AmeriCorps right after college, and I uh, did a year's worth of service with them through a program called the NCCC which was uh, modeled after the old Conservation Corps of the WPA days and um, just traveled around the country doing a lot of disaster relief, uh, meeting unmet needs, helping out communities. Um, and one of the big communities I found myself in was um, the Louisiana, New Orleans, and Lafayette uh, cities and um, working there after the two storms that really devastated those areas. And um, a couple good things happened down there. Um, one was I really got into volunteering and seeing how um, important it was in our community, and the other was I got into farming, which is kind of a weird thing to do when you go down there, but, you know, the people of Louisiana, Cajun or Creole, were very land-based people, and I um, picked up on that and really found such a satisfying um, way of life uh, working on the land. So I really got into farming, and I was traveling around, kind of living the dream, and uh, really kind of, I was still writing, but just kind of finding these new things that really kind of satisfied me and piqued my curiosity. Um, but I ended up having to come back to Philadelphia, where I'm originally from the area. My grandfather was pretty sick. It was the end of his life, and he, um, I came back to be with him. And uh, I was a little depressed, you know, because I was enjoying the road and enjoying being out on the land. I thought I was going to go live in Northern California, but I came back to Philadelphia and just kind of fell into such a very important time in the city. You know, the city's really remaking itself, both artistically, socially, economically, and um, a lot of, I would say, naturally. You know, we have a lot of uh, urban farms here, and I fell into that uh, that way of life here and um, ended up staying in the city and becoming an urban farmer and working for different organizations. Um, at the same time, really revisiting my writing, never losing that bug, and um, I decided that I wanted to write a novel, and I wrote a novel about urban farming in where I was living, West Philadelphia, um, called Seeds of Descent, and I kind of hate to even use the word self-published because it was really just, I produced the book with some friends who were designers and editors and got a bunch of tips from marketing and just really put a book out. And uh, I liked that so much that uh, I decided to start a publishing company. That, that's really interesting. And that, now that brings us to why you're on this program. You, now you produce, what's the name of your publishing company? Uh, publishing company is called The Head and the Hand Press. Oh, how did you come up with that name? I'm curious. So, you know, I was, when I knew I wanted to start, I was, you know, it's, that, it's like naming a band or naming even, you know, it's a child or something. You're, you, this is a name that's going to stick with you for so long, and what are you going to pick? And I was kind of overthinking it, I thought. And um, what I did was 
I was, you know, I was, I was thinking of different names. I didn't like anything, so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back and I'm going to revisit the books that I'm kind of reading at the time that have really inspired me to want to start this company. And I was reading this great book by a man named Richard Sennett. Um, he's a philosopher, um, writer who writes a lot about um, craftsmanship and about kind of bringing back these smaller artisan industries in a viable way to, you know, create jobs in our society, but also to kind of bring people back to the essence of create, like creating something. And uh, so looking through the book, these two concepts really kept sticking out. And it was this concept of the connection between the head and the hand. And the way he just wrote about it was so poetic and so beautiful and just how important it is to just, you know, have such an intellectual understanding of the work that you're doing, but then also, you know, making that intellectualism tangible by the physical work. So the connection of the head and the hand it just, you know, and I like the way it sounded, and I decided to use that. It's, it's a great, uh, it's a great name for a published company. But now, Thank you. Um, I assume you do, uh, you do traditional books uh, through the traditional channels. Am I correct, or? Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, you know, and as you said before, you want to talk about some of the innovative stuff we do, but we definitely have structured our company using the best practices we've seen from you know, independent publishers and even the, the larger, more corporate publishing industry where we're putting books out, you know, as advanced review copies three months in advance so we can get them out to places like Publishers Weekly and Library Journal and outlets of that nature. Um, we, uh, we have a distribution company, um, sell on Amazon. You know, we kind of do a lot of the things that aren't necessary to run a viable publishing company. But, but now, the, the reason, uh, one of the reasons you're on this program, you're, you're trying something new in Philadelphia. A vend- mm-hmm. You're putting your books in vending machines. <laughs> yeah. Tell us all about that. I find that uh, extremely fascinating. Having worked uh, years ago with a company that put uh, uh, model airplane parts in a vending machine, uh, 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 I just found it fascinating. So tell us about that, how that came about, and how it works. Well, well, first I'd like to say I love that idea of model airplane parts and vending machines. I think that's awesome. Um, and kind of you know, playing off of that is, you know, we're in an industry where, you know, part of our job is not just putting out really great books and putting out, you know, and progressing writing. It's really about getting people excited about wanting to read books. And we thought this was a really cool way to do that, um, something interesting and a different way to kind of um, distribute books especially. Um, so the way it kind of started was kind of by happenstance. I was at my uncle's wedding um, over the summer, and I ran into my cousin, who's kind of my uncle's cousin, and uh, he's a little bit older, and he's been running his dad's vending machine business that was started back in the 60s right here in Philadelphia um, called Navar Vending. And um, he, you know, he's going off, and it's funny because he's talking about the vending industry, how much that's changed. And, you know, he's in one respect saying, you know, it's great that people aren't smoking in bars anymore. It's great that kids aren't eating, you know, sugary foods after, like, during school and, you know, for the VC rates and all that. But at the same time, that's the profession he's in. And his profession has changed so much. He's trying to just keep up with the industry. So he's talking about this. He's asking me, well, how's business for you? And I'm like, you know, some, somewhat similar. You know, the, the industry has changed so much. And we're trying to see how we fit in it. And um, 
out of just nowhere, I just blurted out, I'm like, yeah, we should sell books in vending machines. Maybe that'll solve both our problems. And he just lit up, and he's like, that's a great idea. I didn't think he was going to bite on it, you know, but he thought it was a great idea to, uh, to sell books in vending machines. So I went back to my staff, and I said, hey, this is the idea we want to do. And um, we found a, a willing participant in a, a coffee shop in Philadelphia called Elixir Coffee. Um, they... Uh, said that they would put the machine in. I went back to my cousin. He got us. He gave us the dimensions and the specs. We um, put a call out for submissions and got eight really, really fantastic stories. Um, we produced them into little four-by-six chapbooks, and uh, we stocked the vending machine. And uh, it's great to see people coming in and out of the coffee shop, putting in, you know, they get a cup of coffee, have a little bit of change, they have $2, they put it in our machine, and they have something to read while they're, uh, you know, killing some time or waiting for a friend or just enjoying the day. But now, you, these are not full-length books. What's that? They're not full-length books. No, no. And uh, some of them are actually excerpts to novels that are in progress or novels that are coming out. Um, some of them are just straight short stories. So they usually clock in at about 30 pages in a 4 by 6 so about you know 3,000 to 5,000 words. Um, yeah, so, but I think that within each story, it really caps, captures the essence of, you know, what the author's trying to put forth, the story that they're telling. Well, um, how much do you charge for this, if I may ask? Yeah, we charge their $2 in the vending machine. Ah, and, and the author gets uh, the 10% normal royalty? No, we, we've run it as a, um, just because they're either like an excerpt of a novel or they're a, um, uh, a short story, we're usually running it like we would take like a kind of a one-off, we purchase the rights to use the story for just a flat fee from our authors. Um, and, uh, and you know, a lot of these people who we're working with are um, coming out of, we might talk about this in a little bit, our workshop, our physical workspace where we work in Philadelphia. Um, so we have that connection with them. We're putting out a lot more of their work, so they're really happy to kind of find this relationship for us to get their work out in this great way and you know, they get a little bit of money for it. So, uh, um, do you just have one location, or have you expanded since it started? We have one right now, and we're thinking about moving to another location. You know, my cousin told me, he's like, I'll give you this machine for free. You know, we let you use it, and then if we want to talk about expanding, we'll think about that. So... The next location that we're moving to is another um, lunch bistro in uh, Philadelphia. Um, the owner there is really excited about possibly uh, finding other locations because he has a few locations. We've also thought about other venues for it. You know, um, the Philadelphia school system is in a pretty tough situation, so I don't know if they're thinking about putting book vending machines in their uh, facilities, but um, we thought about schools. We thought about... Um, other places where people are waiting for things like trains, bus stations, things like that. So we're just seeing, you know, just kind of taking it slow and seeing where it goes. It, 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 I, I just like the idea that you thought, uh, it's an old expression now, but you thought outside the box and came up with something so clever. Well, thank you. Congratulations. Because writers today, uh, as you know, given the situation, we have a, almost a glut of writers out there today, and they have very few outlets for their, their works. And giving them a chance, like an excerpt or something like that, just makes so much sense. You know, congratulate them. 
Great. Yeah, I agree completely. Thank you. No. So if people wanted to uh, uh, provide a submission to you, how do they do it? So they would go on our, our homepage of our um, website, uh, www.theheadandthehand.com. Um, we have a whole bar that's uh, like part of our homepage that is dedicated to our different submissions that we're taking at the time. And um, the submission is called Bigger Than a Bread Box. It could also be found on Duotrope, which I know a lot of writers use. Um, so Bigger Than a Bread Box, that's the, the name of the, uh, the short story contest that we have, or the uh, series. Um, they can do that. Um, and I guess another thing, too, to talk about people you know, getting these chat books is we don't just sell them out of vending machines. We also do sell them from our website, so people can go on the website and get copies of the, um, of the, uh, the chat books as well. Well, I might do a submission myself. Uh, uh, I would love to read it. Uh, uh, I'm currently working on a book. Uh, uh, Frankie, if you get hurt, I'll kill you. Memories of an Italian child. So Italian <laughs> uh, but, uh, I can relate to that. <laughs> I, I'm sure you can. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, we want to invite you back to the show in a, a few months to see how things are going. And we keep us informed because, I, I, particularly if you move to North Jersey or any place there, we'd, we'd love to talk about it more. Oh, that's excellent. We'll definitely do that. Thank you, Don. Thank you. Have a great day. You do the same. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.